Welcome to the Fired Coaches Podcast with host Marcus Weger. Each episode, we take a detailed look into the trials and tribulations that college coaches had to go through in their career, reflecting on what matters most. Make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and follow us on Twitter at Fired Coaches Pod. We appreciate you taking the time to listen. Episode number 24 of the Fired Coaches Podcast. We have our first volleyball interview tonight with Coach Hugh Hernisman. Uh, Coach Hernisman, appreciate you taking the time tonight. Thanks. Got lots of time. Not really, but <laughs> I'm glad we could squeeze it in. Yeah, so you spent time on the women's volleyball side at Whitewater, where you also played club on the men's side. You spent time at Hardin-Simmons, Ball State, Northwestern State, and Clemson, and now are coaching in the club scene. Obviously, had a lot of great experiences in the last 20 years. And so I guess to start off, just want to talk about your Whitewater experience, you know, being a student athlete there and then getting into coaching on the women's side. What was that like? You guys obviously had a great deal of success. And I have some more questions to kind of ask you on that, but kind of what was the beginning of that? Well, it's, it's, it's funny how it all started for me is I did not, you know, I, I wasn't at the tail end of my college time. I was not looking to get into the college coaching scene at all still a student and Chris Russell, who was the head coach at the time, Hall of Famer there and an outstanding, outstanding coach and mentor to both Steph and myself. She's like, Hey, she's like, you know, cause I'd done a few camps there like over the summers and all. And she's like, I need a student assistant, you know, it'd be a nice resume addition and all that. And so that's why I agreed to do it at first. And that just kind of me it blossomed from there. I was there for, that's probably, you know, probably three or four weeks into it. And we were on the road on, you know, going to our first tournament and Chris is like, Hey, I think, I think you can be really good at this. Have you ever thought about, you know, coaching college? And I was like, no, I'm just trying to get to get to get a job here. And I haven't thought about it, but she's like, you know, I, I think that, you know, if you want to get your master's, I can help you get that here. You can stay on as, you know, as a grad assistant and all that. So it just kind of, I mean, it evolved from there. Once I got into the gym, then I could kind of, take some of my playing experience and, and translate that onto the floor with, with that team, which was already, Chris had built that program. They had been to a final four, boy, late eighties or so. I started in 90, mid nineties, 95, I think was my first season. Just kind of started up with, with her and she had, had some success and they're a top 25 program. And I, I think I was able to bring a, a tactical level to the, to the game that, really helped grow that program but yeah we we had a lot of success there we were you know it was it was an oddity if we did not win the the WIAC we went to we played in three four gosh final fours three national championship matches we won the national championship in 2002 national player of the year multiple all-americans and so you know that that was a program that was a machine you know in the in the early, you know, late nineties and early two thousands and had a lot of talent come through there. And, you know, I think one of the things that I learned most, I think from, from Chris was that she did a great job of building, just building a strong expectation and culture within, within the team is she, you know, that those kids played hard. They got after it in the weight room. They were great teammates to each other did great in school, all the, all the things that, you know, the, the discipline that you need off the floor 
a lot of that transfers and translates onto the floor. But that was, that was a, that was a fun time. It's funny because, you know, having so much success early with that, with that whitewater team, it just seemed almost easy. Like it was an expectation that we were going to be a final four team every year. And, you know, why wouldn't we be playing for national championships? And it was funny when other teams that were very successful in whitewater has gone on. I mean, you look at baseball and football and basketball, and I mean, you go across the board, wrestling, gymnastics, they've all been great. And, you know, at the time they would get, they would win like a conference championship and Chris would be like, we're not getting rings for a conference championship. I'm saving the rings for a national championship. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> every school I've been at since when we get one, we get a ring because it's not, it's not easy even winning a conference championship, but she just made it seem like that was, it is like, we're going to win. We're playing for national championships. And so that there was just, there's a mindset and there's an expectation and there's a culture there that I didn't quite realize existed until we got to different places. And then we realized how, how different and how unique and how special that was. And then, then you're tasked with as a coach, you know, how do you, how do you recreate that? And how do you, or, or just create that with, with your, with your programs that you're in now? Yeah. So you talked about that 2002 championship and the prior year and the prior year before that you're in the finals 2000, you lose. I think you got swept three off. I'm not mistaken, but then no one, you guys lost three, two to Laverne. What was kind of the fuel to that fire to, okay, you've been there twice now. Now you're right, right. there, literally, you know, in a, in a close match. What was kind of that feeling coming into that 2002, not just the season, but just kind of that whole mentality of like, we got to finish the job this time. Well, it's crazy because that 2001 season, we had a pair of twins, Allison and Melinda Erickson. Allison was the national player of the year that year. Melinda was, you know, if there was a runner up, it would have been Melinda. Like those two were outstanding players. And like, that was kind of the year that we were supposed to, you know, quote unquote, win it. And even, you know, even that year, we had an easy semifinal match. Like the matchup was just the way we matched up is with a, a school out of the Northeast that wasn't tested like a lot of the other programs that we had played. So that was, that was an easy semifinal win. And then even in that semifinal match opposite us, the best outside hitter for Laverne tore her ACL and hit lines. And so we're like, this is, this is it. This is going to be it. And then we lose three, two. And it's funny because that team was coached by a, a really good friend of mine. His name is Don Flora. And we know each other in during that time. And we've been, we've been very tight since. He went on to coach at New Mexico State as an assistant. He was the head coach at Texas Tech. So our career paths have kind of woven in and out, but had always stayed in touch. And, you know, we talk regularly. But, yeah, that was, I mean, that, that people weren't sure what we were going to be once, once the Ericsons graduated because that was supposed to be the year. And just, boy, we are our, our junior group that year that we're going, that were, that were seniors that 2002 year they were determined to show everybody who was paying attention that it wasn't just Allie and Melinda. It was, it was, this is a great team and they got hungry and, you know, it, and going into that season, I don't know that we expected a national championship. We always expected to be there, but we weren't sure if we were going to really have, you know, what it took. And we got probably about, two months in the season we're like yeah this team 
this team's got something. There's an it there. They're just very, very determined. They're great competitors and they learned that, you know, I think they learned that from the previous, previous athletes had, that had been in the program. Like that's not something that just happens out of nowhere. That's something that gets built up. And <clears throat> so when we won that, I can, I can, it was at Whitewater actually. And I can remember like looking through the stands and trying to find Allison and Melinda because I knew they were there watching. I'm like, where are they? Because this is just as much about you as it is these kids. And, and so it was, in fact, I think that match, boy, we were down in the semifinal, in the semifinal, we were down like eight to two or eight to three in the fifth set against Juniata. And we had one of our all Americans, Angie Wildish just took over, just absolutely took over. And then that championship match was against uh, Washington university, a team that had been a thorn in our side for ever. And that was, that was a much easier, not easier, a more efficient match. We, we took care of them a lot easier than we did Juniata, but it was once, once we came back there, we, we knew it was going to, we, we just had that feeling that, that it was going to be ours. I've mentioned it before on previous episodes, <laughs> but you make a comment about that Laverne match and that all American tearing her ACL right before the game. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I don't think it matters the sport, but you see it so often where that mindset clicks in of like, Oh, they're they're down or they're out Mm -hmm. or they're not here right and all of a sudden you think it just becomes that much easier and in reality you just kind of set yourself back a little bit but yeah it's such a tough position to be in as a coach because you're trying to build up that opponent but it's just Mm -hmm. that mental mindset right i mean they just kind of see human nature yeah it's it's human nature and i use that story you know although it worked against us i use that in recruiting all the time you know it's like you have to be deep if you want to win a national championship you have to have players step in if something were to happen, if, you know, if somebody gets hurt or isn't performing or whatever that might be, they had that, and that kid careered, man, she careered against us. She was really, really good. And Don and I still will talk about, you know, her performance. And he's, he's like, I knew she had it in her, but yeah, it's, you go through moments like that and, and you hold on to those for a while. So what did everything kind of set up with Whitewater then moving forward? You know, you obviously had a ton of success there. What made you kind of choose that career path of like, hey, this is really what I want to do. You obviously go to Hardin-Simmons with your wife. You guys turn the program around instantly. I think you won a conference title within the first three years there. You know, what made you kind of decide like, hey, we're going to go and kind of find this wherever we need to go, you know, whether it's relocating or whatever to, to kind of follow the path? I think we were ready. We were ready to take on our own program. And really, during our time at Whitewater, things were basically lining up and, and for us to take over when Chris retired. And, you know, she'd spent, gosh, I don't know how many years Chris had been there total. It had to be around 20. And she'd been there a while. And, and you know, towards those last couple of years, she kept, you know, she's like, hey, she's like, I, I think I got another year. I got another two years. I want you guys to take over. And those were honest conversations. And then I think when things get going that well, it's infectious. And, and we kept bringing in great players and there were great players that came in after that championship team and they won championships after that. And so, you know, I, you know, she, that one year, I got one more year turned into two more years to turn into three more years. And at some point, you know, I got to the point where we're, you know, we, we have to further our career. And so we decided to make that jump. And, you know, I even talked to, the chancellor at the time. And he said, look, he's like, you know, I, we don't know when Chris is going to retire, but I will tell you, I think you are a better candidate. If you want the whitewater head coaching job, you're a better candidate. If you were to go away, have success as a head coach and have head coaching experience, then just kind of turn the keys over. And 
so it was a good opportunity that I, that I thought we, that we had down at Harden Simmons. It was, I mean, a complete culture change. You know, you go from, you know, Wisconsin to Texas and Texas is, as a, a lot of people know that have been there or lived there, it's, it is, it's pretty much its own country. At least they think they are <laughs> their own country. And so just culturally, it's totally different. And it was just, it was Steph and I, and that was it. We didn't know anybody down there. And then to have success and build up that program, we built up a club, uh, club program there as well. Made a lot of great friends in just a few years, just, you know, it was just really three years that we were there. And that was a, I'm, you know, I'm very grateful that things turned out the way they did because I could have been, I don't want to say stuck at Whitewater because I think that would have been fine. I think we would have been very happy there. I think I learned a lot more and Steph and I both learned a lot more about ourselves by getting away, having success at, at a younger age, we can still make it and we don't need to lean on people necessarily. And um, that was, that was a great time. And, and, you know, in there too, we got, you know, got connected to USA Volleyball and their high performance program, met a lot of good people in the, in the Texas kind of club world. And actually that's where we met John and Jody Rye, who run Dallas Skyline. And that's who we're partnering with now with Jacksonville Skyline. So that relationship that formed back in, I don't know, 2004 or whatever that was 15 years ago, that was something that really benefited us when we wanted to get out of the, out of the college scene. You had coached with your wife at Hardin-Simmons. You guys mm-hmm. coached together at Ball State. You guys coached together at Northwestern State and Clemson. How right. unique is that? Again, I know, I actually know husband and wife that have coached together in volleyball. And I know that's com- kind of commonplace as opposed to maybe other sports where you see it. But can you just kind of mm-hmm. talk about that relationship and how that is where, you know, you're living with this person, but you're also working with that person. And some people are probably like, well, hey, we need kind of our separate time away or whatnot. Right. But how does that work right. on, on your end? It's really all we know. I mean, as long as we've been together, we've been coaching together. And I think, and, and what, what we would always say is that that is such a demanding profession at the college level. And I don't care if it's Harden-Simmons or if it's Clemson, it is demanding. And if you want to be great, you have to put in that time. So it's such a demanding profession that we kind of felt like if we both weren't coaching together, we wouldn't see each other. And I think a lot of coaches that don't coach with their spouse, they'll, they'll readily, you know, and I think you probably had this experience too, is that, you know, you, they sacrifice a lot. You sacrifice a lot of family time and spousal time and those spouses, you know, they have to sacrifice and they have to put in, you know, a lot of time that, that as a coach, you can't. So we kind of felt like that was kind of the way we were going to be able to see each other if we were going to be into coaching. And then once we started having kids, those kids, you know, Austin, you know, Austin, we had Austin when we were in, when we were in Abilene at Hart and Simmons and he, we would, he was an infant when we won a conference championship there. And he was just being passed from parent to parent to parent, <laughs> riding on the bus with us, staying in the hotels with us. And then, you know, we had Emma when we were at, at Ball State, and they've just always been a part of what we do. We'd take them out recruiting. We would take them along to matches. They would sit in the stands. They'd cheer out. And, and that influence that, like, our athletes had on them was awesome. Like, I I have a mental picture in my head. I, I know I'll never lose this. And we have actually, I have a physical, physical picture of it as well. But when we were at Northwestern State, we had a middle by the name of Glenna Johnson. Glenna was 6'3", and just this big, imposing presence. And Emma had to be three years old, four years old. And it's a picture of them. We were at UT Arlington walking out to the bus and she, Emma's reaching up as high as she can to hold Glenna's hand as they're walking to the bus. 
and she's kind of leaning over to hold it. I mean, just those kinds of things. And I think it was great for our programs because our athletes knew that they had to be on point and they had to be acting right because they had these, you know, these young athletes or these are our, our kids, our young kids around them. And, and so that was, I think that helped to promote a little bit more of a family feel. It, it humanizes us as coaches. I think that's one of the larger barriers is that I think sometimes you come in to a program as a player and you just see this coach is way up here. When in reality, like I would tell people, I'm just like your next door neighbor and your aunt, your uncle, you know, whatever is that we've got families and, and these things matter to us too. So, but yeah, that's, I mean, that's really, that's all we've known. And, and now that we're running the club together, we, we work very well together. We both have our strengths. She's very, very organized. I'm probably a little bit more creative on the volleyball side of things and, but it, it's just, it's, it's worked and we've had a lot of success in those roles. That's a great story. So before you go to Northwestern State, some time, as I mentioned, at Ball State together for Dave Boos, who actually you played against in college. He was at Oshkosh, you were at Whitewater. Mm -hmm. I believe now he's at Florida as an associate head coach. How did things change from you from the Whitewater Harden Simmons experience to Ball State? And now you're going to Northwestern State to lead your own program. I mean, a lot of people don't get experience kind of different levels. What was that in volleyball for you from division three to division one? Bigger kids. That's about it. You know, really more resources, I would say from Whitewater and, and Harden Simmons to a ball state, but it really, it, it was just bigger kids. And it's, it's funny because there were, there were athletes that were at, at Whitewater and at Harden Simmons that I, I was like, they could have been on this ball state roster. This could, they could have been on this Northwestern state roster. They were just maybe a little bit smaller or they'd have to play a different type of role. I think the recruiting changes a little bit. You've got to broaden your scope a little bit. You know, when we got to ball state, we kind of, even there you're, you're recruiting Midwest because you're not going to get a, you know, an athlete from Texas or Florida or, or California to come to school at a ball state. Generally there's a lot of schools that play at that level within their smaller range that they don't have to get on a plane and fly there. But, you know, you start to expand your, your scope and recruiting. You have to get a, a keener eye for what's going to be, what you think is going to be, you know, the, the talent level that you're going to need to be successful. But I don't think it really took me too long to figure out, you know, what, what's going to be the athlete, the type of athlete that's going to help us win a MAC championship at Ball State. Like that was... You go through a season, you look at the athletes you have. So it, it was, I thought it was going to be a big jump. You know, that was, that was really, I was like, oh boy, here we're going division three to division one. But I think a lot of coaches that have been across the spectrum, so to speak, they will tell you, and I, and I tell this to my athletes in our club right now, is that there's a very blurry line between like a mid-major division one up to your upper reaches of division three, like your top 25 types of programs. I mean, that talent level, there's a lot of players. Like when we lost those national championships to Central College out of Iowa, they had a transfer that was a freshman SEC player of the year that played at Kentucky and just didn't want to play Division One volleyball anymore. She wanted to go back home. She wanted to be closer to home, and so she transferred to Central. And she was, she was a national player of the year, but she wasn't, it wasn't here and here. You know, she was, she was just a little bit better and a little bit more physical than everybody else, but you know, that's, that's what I realized once I got there, it's like, it's bigger athletes, but you know, the talent and the skill and, and, and what's commitment level and what's needed in the weight room, 
doesn't really change a whole lot there. So you take over at Northwestern State, and that program had struggled for quite some time. And in your time there with your wife, you guys just continue to get better every single year. The four or five years you were there, you guys just keep going. And 2014 culminates in that NCAA tournament run. You guys end up playing Texas. I believe you beat Missouri earlier in the year, who was ranked in the 15th. 15th in the country. Yeah. And so can you just talk through like that? You, you get to take over a program. It's Division One. You've had that experience at Ball State. Now, like you said, you've just kind of seen what it's like, what that level's like. But now each year you guys continue to get better and you take it to an NCAA tournament. I mean, talk about those years and just how impressive that was. It, yeah, sometimes I look back and I can't – I think we were very fortunate the way things worked out. So, yeah, Northwestern State, we were – I mean, that was a 30-plus years of Division One volleyball. They had never been over 500. A friend of mine that was assistant coach at Baylor – um, he's like, if you can get that program to 500, he's like, that's a national championship for Northwestern state. And I don't think I quite saw it that way. And then I started to second guess myself, <laughs> like what am I get myself into and yeah, our third year, we won 20 matches, fourth year, 21 matches, fifth year was, you know, beating Mizzou and NCAA tournament. This was after we lost our best player in the, after the third week of the season to an Achilles rupture. <clears throat> so we kind of had to reinvent, reinvent ourselves mid-season and and play a little bit different brand of volleyball but that you know we were we got there we had basically 10 scholarships that were going to be open within the next two classes and so by year two at Northwestern State it was virtually all of the kids that we had recruited and so one of the more difficult things in taking over a losing program is that the losing is in the walls so to speak and so it's hard to get that out. And, and there's a culture that exists that, you know, a lot of times it's, it's the talent. A lot of times it's the training and the coaching and, and maybe the support. I mean, I think all those things add up. Um, but sometimes the losing is just, it's in the walls and, and you can't scrub it out when you're at, some, at a place that's been consistently losing. I think, you know, with, with us having that roster turnover as quickly as it did, ever interested in you know getting rid of players to bring in our own I didn't think that was ever fair to those players it wasn't their fault that they were recruited there and if somebody made a recruiting mistake before us so the university and the program owed them that obligation that if they wanted to be there they're going to there be there as long as they you know they you know put in the work and, and they abide by the culture expectations and all of that so you know our job as coaches is to coach and and you know, obviously we want to be winning, but, you know, more importantly is you've got to do things kind of the right way. And I think at Northwestern State is we just, we struck gold on a couple kids that people didn't want to take chances with. And honestly, we could, we could take chances there because the bar was so low in terms of where the talent level was at when we got there. It's like, you know, people, like we had an outside hitter, Stacey DeFrancesco, who was this fantastic player out of the Woodlands, Texas. And, you know, there are a lot of good established programs that kind of kicked the tires, so to speak, on her, you know, and, you know, two years, like her freshman year, she was a kill away from leading the conference in total kills. And so, but she, but that was just a really driven athlete that we felt like she had those tools. And so we really tried to find athletes that did one or two things special and better than kind of the rest of their peers. And then we just had to have a lot of faith in how we trained and how we prepared them. And we had learned from a lot of very good coaches. I mean, you, the coaching, 
you know, if you, if you talk about a coaching tree and the people that you worked underneath, I mean, it's Chris Russell, Hall of Famer, Dave Booz, who is now running all of the training at Florida. They're a top 10 program in the country and, and year in and year out are very, very solid. I work with USA Volleyball, high performance, Erica Gulbranson, who trained the national team. Like those are some ridiculously talented coaches that we just happen to be presented the opportunity to work with. So when you take that to some degree, you have to meld that a little bit with the way you want to coach and the way you want to run a program and the way you want to train. We've had great experience in, in, in terms of the coaches that we've worked with. And so, you know, we just put it all out there, had faith and trust in, in our training and our culture expectations and, and all that. And that all built. And, you know, it was, it was, you know, like I said, we were pretty fortunate on some of the kids that we got and the way they developed. I think part of that is probably because we grew up in a winning program. You know, you, you grew up in a whitewater and it's just, that's, that's what we do. Like I can, <laughs> I can distinctly remember talking to a local reporter down there when we got the Northwestern state job as co-head coaches and he was a ball state, he was connected to ball state. And so we had some common friends and, and he was, you know, talking about the program and, and he's like, you know, no offense, but you know, a lot of people come into Northwestern state and they think they're gonna, you know, turn it around kind of thing and, and stuff's like, well, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna, you know, this, this, this is kind of the way we see it. We think there's great athletes. We're close to Texas. We can get a lot of those Texas athletes and, you know, we think we're gonna prepare them. And, you know, we think we can be a, you know, a top third type of team in the conference. And she's like, it's just what we do. And, and after we won that conference championship, Randy came back to us. He's like, Hey, I remember this. Remember when coach, when, when stuff said, it's what we do, <laughs> like it was a little bit, it was a little bit bold, I think at the time. But proof in the pudding uh, now. <laughs> yeah. It's easy to say that once you win, but, but that, that does, I mean, it's that there's a lot that's in that statement just in terms of just our overall confidence and, you know, how we've been prepared and how we've, you know, who we've been able to learn from. Yeah, I was watching some of your YouTube videos when you're at Northwestern State, kind of through that 2014 season. It, it looks like that was a, a pretty cool place to play volleyball. It seemed like a kind of an intimate place where you could kind of get things kind of loud and have a good home court advantage there. Well, it's funny because it, Louisiana, Louisiana volleyball is, in terms of just the state, is virtually non-existent. They don't play high school volleyball in the top half of the state until recently. It's like when we got there, we couldn't like even show our faces at a local match. We'd have to go down to like Lafayette or Baton Rouge or New Orleans is where they played. And it wasn't very strong. Like the talent level wasn't good. Our athletic director at the time when I got hired or when we got hired, you know, Greg, he's like, you don't, we don't need to have Louisiana you know, people on the roster, if they deserve it. Yeah. We'd like to have Louisiana. He's like, but I know the talents over there in Texas. And we had, unfortunately for us, we were, you know, we had connections in Texas from our time at Hart and Simmons. And then we continued those through our time at ball state even. So can you talk about the process after that great season you have at uh, Northwestern state, you end up getting the job at Clemson. What was kind of that interview process like, and obviously I know more resources, larger league, all that different types of stuff, but how different was that going there from Northwestern state? Night and day, night and day. I mean, Northwestern State did not, one of the things that they, it's the state of Louisiana does not have a lot of money in education. They have a lot of, and they have a lot of universities there. So the money is spread pretty thin there. Like budget wise, we would run out of budget money at Northwestern State before the season was even finished. So we would be fundraising 
during the season to eat and sleep in hotels. <laughs> so that was very different. So, you know, in Clemson, you've, you've got all that. You have a, you know, over half a million dollar budget and you've got budget budgeted items for things that we would never think about doing while we were at Northwestern state. So that process was, it was interesting because prior to the Clemson interview and that opportunity, I had applied for Baylor and was a finalist there. It came down to me and Ryan McGuire. Ryan got the job and was a fantastic fit and has gone on and has done a great, great job there. I can remember talking to Ian McCall, who was the AD at the time. And he called me, he's like, Hugh, he's like, I, I hate to deliver the news, you know, but I think you and Steph would have been great here. Like, we just think we had two great candidates. Ryan's a better fit, but let me help you. If you guys still want to, you know, if you're still looking at, he's like, you're more than ready for a power five job. I've got friends throughout the country and whatever. So just missing out on that was encouraging and discouraging all at once. I mean, it's, it's a big leap and, and you have to really have a lot of confidence to jump into that pool, so to speak. And I don't know that we really had that, but we're, you know, when you get those opportunities, you have to take them and find out. But yeah, Clemson was, it was a, it was a unique interview process. Like he brought in five people like to campus and usually you're bringing in two or three. And I can remember early on in the process and there's good local candidate. Like there's coach that had played there was coaching up in Greenville had a lot of success and I figured she was going to be the one that was going to get the job and you know I was one of five candidates and stuff stuff was you know kind of nervous and excited about it she's like what do you think our chances are I'm like well probably 20 percent <laughs> <laughs> if I, my math is correct <laughs> so I think I was a little bit of a dark horse candidate. There's a lot of things within our training and within our culture and all that stuff that I think intrigued their administration at the time. And ultimately, I think what happened was I was hired there to, as, as the administration put it, is to fix a toxic program. Kids weren't getting their grades. Kids were off the court problems and troubles and, and all that kind of stuff. And it's Clemson. I mean, it's not like there's great volleyball in Clemson, but Clemson's a national brand. And at that time, you know, football was really building up too. But yeah, they, they're like, you are, your 20-year career has, you know, we've talked to everybody along the way, and we know that you and Steph are great at building a good, positive, strong culture. And that's how you've been able to have, you know, some success. And so I think that's ultimately like you need, this needs to be fixed. We know it's broken. It needs to be fixed. And, and so we were happy to do that. We had, I mean, we had, that's everywhere we had been other than Whitewater was a rebuild. Northwestern State was a rebuild. Hart and Simmons was a rebuild. Ball State, when we went and helped out with Dave, that was a rebuild. Outside of our, our time at Whitewater was all we knew. So we were, we were ready for it. They, you know, the expectation there from them, they're like, fix it first. We know the talent's not here. We know that, you know, there's going to have to be some culture shifts within the program, but, you know, we, we think you're the right people to do it. And so I think that's, that's how I got, it. I think it surprised some people. I think to some degree it surprised me. I knew I was ready for it and I knew I was prepared for it. I knew I could be successful at that level, but ultimately I'm a, I'm a male coaching a female sport and sometimes, you know, and justifiably so sometimes those jobs go to women. And especially now you're seeing a lot of women and qualified women getting, getting jobs. So for me to get that at the time, I was, 
I felt pretty fortunate. So after two years, the school and you had parted ways. I mean, I guess kind of what you were just saying, were you surprised then in terms of, you know, you knew you were walking into an environment that, you know, needed to be fixed, kind of toxic. You said there were people, you know, kind of getting in trouble off the court, different stuff like that. And you were brought in to kind of get some time to, to fix it. And obviously it's a little bit shorter than what I'm assuming you thought. So what did you kind of all learn there? And just what was that all like? I think what I learned is that you've got to do a lot of, as, as a college coach, you have to do a lot of research on ultimately the athletic director that you're going to go work for. And there were some yellow flags around the AD that's still there from his time at Georgia Tech. And I, there, there's, a, there's a mentality, I think, that everybody kind of, as coaches, you kind of, you feel like it's not going to be, this, won't, this wouldn't happen to me. Like, like, this happened to that coach because that guy's crazy or she's nuts or whatever. And so you try to play that off because you never think it's going to be you. And, and ultimately, you know, in, you know, after the whole experience and talking to people, you know, there at Clemson within, within the athletic department really is that like volleyball is just not a priority. So I think a lot of that was, you know, we were, we were asked to turn around a culture that they weren't interested in turning around is really what it ultimately came to. So, you know, we had, it was kids that were getting arrested for fake IDs and underage. And you get that as a college coach, but you also generally speaking, have the support of the administration to dole out whatever consequences there are. And ultimately if those things continue to happen is when you decide to part ways. And I just assumed that's the way it was going to be when I was asked to rebuild it. And I found out within that first year and I think we had one athlete that probably had, broken 20 rules within a within a team rule book that has to be approved by the administration by the Clemson University legal counsel like it goes through all these different layers and then you know I've got this file and I'm like here like what am I supposed to do and like well we don't get rid of kids here at Clemson and I was like well okay but what's the point of hiring me to fix a culture you know, you don't say it in these terms, but, you know, between us is, you know, what's the point in hiring somebody to fix a culture if you're not going to allow that to happen and not allow us to enforce rules. So ultimately with this one player, we were able to, if she wants to stay at Clemson, you can remove her from the team, but she keeps her scholarship. I was like, okay, I'm fine with that because I don't want that to, you know, infect, so to speak, the rest of the athletes. And so she ended up, tra- ended up transferring. I found her a place to play. I told her that her time was going to be done at, at Clemson. And I said, if you know, if you would, I think you need a fresh start. And so I helped her find a new place. And, and we found out pretty quickly that she had a, you know, a few friends that were pretty similar and they were upset with that. And then they just started to try to make things difficult, more difficult. And they just, they weren't there for the right reasons. And I, and I get it. Like, this is, this is the problem I think with NCAA. And I think things are changing right now. I think you're, you're in a tough place. You know, the person that replaced me, she went and she basically forced pretty much the players that were very loyal to what we were doing, forced them out. You're not bringing them back or they make it so difficult. You're never going to play here, that kind of stuff. And to some degree, she had success doing that because she still has her job. And I think that if I had done that with the former coaches, athletes, 
who had been told by me, you know, to me by the administration, you know, I think we'd probably still be there. We had kids on the way that ended up at great, great places. And when, when I got let go and stuff and I got let go, they like, I was coming to Clemson to be great, not to take great pictures at Lake Hartwell and party. And like, they, they knew what was going on and they knew that the bad culture kids kind of won, you know, they, they got, they got their way and they got to, and, and the crazy part for me is, is honestly, it was four kids and there's a lot that happened off the court and there are some, you know, investigations on campus into some of their activities and that kind of thing without me getting too specific, but all those athletes, the year after I got let go, they all quit. So they weren't, <laughs> they, they weren't even, they weren't interested. And so it was difficult at first. It was very confusing at first because, you know, as we were kind of going through, you know, those last you know, month or so, last few weeks, it was not feeling right. And, you know, in talking to a lot of friends and just conversations with staff, it was kind of like, we didn't do anything wrong, right? Like we feel good about how we handle these situations. Like every, every interaction with and every consequence or any, anything that kind of happened within the program was always run through the administration. So like, I wouldn't even say I'd change that because everything we did was something that I almost felt like when we were there, it was, I was being micromanaged. Like I couldn't just make a decision on my own. It's like, Oh, I got to run this by my boss. We got to run this by my boss. And they tell you what to do and it doesn't work out. And the next thing you know, it's like blowing up. And so that was, that was, that was a tough part because we're like, we, we just, we felt like we handled everything right. And talking to, you know, friends of ours with it throughout the country that are coaching at other strong, strong programs, top 25 programs. Like, you know, you talk to a Ryan Tice at Marquette and you're like, Hey, what, what would you do here? He's like, yeah, this is exactly what you do. This is what I would do. This happened to me. And it was funny because, you know, we moved down here to Jacksonville and, and Dave, you know, Dave is now the associate head coach at Florida and they're, you know, an hour and a half or so away from, from us here. And so we'd go to the match and talk to him afterwards. I can remember one of the athletes that was being recruited by Florida. She was there to watch a match and her older sister was committed to us at Clemson, ended up going to Georgia Tech, was freshman center of the year all this. I mean, she's, she's brought them to the NCAA tournament. She's great. She's a fantastic player. Her sister is now a freshman at Clemson. So I, I we didn't realize they were going to be there. So I ran into Matt down on the floor and he's introducing him to some of the other Florida parents. And he's like, this is, you know, this is coach Hugh. This is where Maddie was going to go. And then, you know, they're like, oh yeah. Like, yep. That's the guy who got fired for doing the right thing is the way he would introduce me. And, and so you take that with, you know, I, I feel great about how, like, I think we did everything right. And that's the frustrating part is that when you think you do everything right and, um, and you get things cleared through an administration, ultimately, you know, what got back to me was, you know, Dan doesn't like noise outside of volleyball. He doesn't want stuff on his desk, so to speak, that doesn't have to do with football. I mean, if it's, you know, if it's everything else, he doesn't, it's easier for him to just cut ties. And there were a few, a few personnel decisions that happened within my first year, year and a half that I was there. I was like, Holy cow, like this is crazy. You know, it just, it, nothing like I had ever experienced. And I'd talk to my boss. I'm like, what's going on? Like what happened with golf and what happened with like, Oh no, he, this happened, this happened. And you end up talking to that coach like that, that, that never happened. It's a great football school, <laughs> you know? And I think that their focus is on football. And I think if there's anything that's a distraction 
it's just that when you're at a school like that, it's easy to write a buyout check. You know, I got fired without cause. So I had three years left on a five-year contract that I got a nice check that I got written to me that we're like, let's put this into a business and kind of get out of this crazy world because we had two young kids. We were tired of moving around with them. Like Austin's lived literally in Texas and Indiana and Louisiana and South Carolina. So we're just like, you know, it's, it's enough. Like let's, let's stop this craziness. And once you experience something like that, it's hard to, it's hard to trust that you're going to be able to go work for somebody else again and believe what you're being told. And it's like a, it's like any relationship, right? It's a bad breakup and people are afraid to get back in their relationship because they can't trust, you know, the next person that they're in this relationship with. And that's kind of where we were at. And so, you know, Skyline, you know, the people at Skyline, the owners, they kind of reached out and they're like, Hey, if you want to get in the club, pick a city anywhere you want to live. And we know, you know, the volleyball will help you with the business side of it and let's do it. So at that point, we're like, we've got this three years of buyout and we can live on that for a while and we can invest the rest into the business and, and build up something where we have, you know, we have control of our lives again in terms of we can, I can go to baseball practices of, for my son. And, you know, my daughter now is on our, on our 12s team. She's been on our 12s team for four years now, but, you know, I can coach her and I can watch her matches and watch her practices. And that's, I mean, that's a great, that's a great thing as a dad. It's the, honestly, it's the best thing that's happened, happened to me. And it wasn't by choice. You know, it's crazy because you know, I think what happens is when something like that goes on, people call and they want to support and, you know, us having been across a lot of levels and living in a lot of different areas, we heard from a lot of people. And at that time, like, I don't want to talk to anybody. Like this is, I'm not in the mood. I don't want to discuss it. Like it almost sounds like when I tell the story, like I would keep coming back with like, you can't even make this up. This is how crazy it is. Right. And what you would hear back from a lot of people is like, well, you know, everything happens for a reason. I was like, I, shut up. Like I, that's, you don't know that that's just something you say. Right. And it's turned out to be true. Like that's like, I got to some degree, I got my life back. I got my family, you know, I, I'm able to be more involved. I'm able to be more involved with like, friends in our neighborhood and within our team groups and that kind of stuff like that wasn't happening as a college head coach not at Clemson not at Northwestern State I mean it's difficult because you're always on the road and you're always recruiting or you're competing and if you want to be great you have to put in that time it's always the next game it's always an extra crew it's always the next right and never stop. sure yep and you can be great but it's like how do you keep it how you like we got the NCAA tournament so if you're at, if you stay at a Northwestern State like okay, no, how do we, how do we win an NCAA tournament match? Like, how do we get that kid? Because we can now, we have that kind of clout. We can go and get somebody that can, let's get, let's see if we can get this team to that round of 32 or heck, I mean, if we can get to a sweet 16 at a Northwestern state, give me a break. Like that's ridiculous. So, you know, and that's part of the thing and it's addictive and, and you're competitive and you're professional. Those are the things that you want to do for your career. And you don't quite realize when you're in the middle of it, what you're sacrificing and i can uh, i can remember when we were at we so i got let go it is march early march of you know of you know after our second season there and we stayed in clemson through july 
and we let Austin finish out his baseball season, and we we were living on a lake. I just literally two weeks before I bought a boat. Like, this is great. Like, I've got a summer. (laughs) I can do all this stuff. And I can remember him telling telling the story to one of his teammates, like a mom. Didn't quite know, you know, they were from a different community or whatever. And I can, I overheard him saying, yeah, I, I just never got to see my dad. I was like, oh, like that's just like almost an instant tearjerker and your heart just sinks. And like, I, I had no idea. I didn't realize how much he was missing me in his life and how much I was missing like all of that. So th- it's a, it's a no brainer. You know, I, I talked to a lot of people in, you know, in trying to help out our athletes with recruiting. I try to, you know, bounce ideas off of people. I try to get different concepts for, and, and so I talked to a lot of coaches all across the country still, and they're still, I mean, that's your, that's your friend group. You know, you get to know those people because you see them on the road all the time. And I just hear story after story after story. I'm like, keep them coming, keep them coming. Like, like I'll get a text from friends. They're like, Hey, you want to hear the next one? I'm like, yep. Yep. I do. I want you to remind me <laughs> why, why I got out of this. And, and, you know, we're still busy and we're still working hard and we're still impacting lives, but it's just, uh, you know, it's a, it's in a different way. And now we have a little bit more control and we can, you know, if we have the people that aren't quite, you know, on the bus, so to speak, is they can step off the bus and that's fine. Like it's not when, you know, it, it takes a lot of effort and a lot of work and a lot of dedication and a lot of sacrifice to be great. And for some people, it's just not that important. And I think for us, the people that we inherited at Clemson, it wasn't. And, and they, and I think they went to Clemson, not expecting to be great. So then all of a sudden they get a new coach. It's like, well, we can't go out and party all the time. We can't tailgate at the football games and we play a noon match the next day. Like, what's going on? <laughs> like that's cause that's why I came. Right. And, and so it's good. It's, yeah, I was nervous. And our first year here, we had tryouts and I had nobody show up to tryouts. We were doing free clinics. We get like three people showing up. We really didn't know anybody in, in Jacksonville. We just decided that this was a place that needed higher level training. It was warm weather forever. Steph had been saying, let's get to a beach. Let's find a school at a beach. And Nobody ever leaves beach jobs, you know, and so, so this is our way to get close to the beach and, and kind of live out the way we wanted to. Looking back now, if you were getting into coaching again, like you were a whitewater, kind of reflect in the mirror, what would you tell a younger version of yourself in today's world getting into coaching? You know, I, I think that the advice that I would give any coach, you know, and myself included that, you know, pay attention to what other coaches are doing. Don't hesitate to ask questions of people that are your rivals. I think I've learned a lot of things, you know, about building a program and how to handle a a program that paid off by paying attention to like what our basketball coaches were doing or our soccer coaches were doing or what somebody was doing at a different school. I think that early on, I felt like I had a lot of the answers. Now I look back at some of the things that I used to do that I would never do that now. Like those are, those are like training techniques. Like I don't feel like, feel like I really had much of a training style in terms of how we teach skill and, and all that kind of stuff where I didn't develop that until I had been coaching for 10 years. And so, and I think that's probably, you know, that's the advice. I think, you know, I think your, especially now, now it's, it's, it's not getting any easier. And so I think you have to be very, very good at, you know, kind of 
you know, documenting things with your athletes and, and kind of not assuming the worst, but I think, I think there are a lot of times that you just trust people and you, you assume that they've got, you know, your programs and their own and your, your success, you know, at the forefront. And sometimes they don't. And it's, it's tough because I feel like a lot of the things that we did, we did correctly. I think the one thing that we did not do while I was at Clemson, it was advice that I got from my SWA uh, probably about my last three months there was, she's like, Hugh, you just, you need to stay in your lane. And I'm like, what do you mean by that? She's like, just, you just worry about the volleyball. And so if I had gone there and not worried about the off court things, I'm sure I would be there and we would have been very, very successful. I don't think I would feel great about it though. I feel very good that we did things the right way and we held up a standard that was, what's interesting is if you listen to Davo Sweeney talk and, and Davo and I had had conversations about culture and about player expectations, they are completely aligned with each other. And that's where it was so frustrating for me specifically there was, you know, you, you see what Dabo's doing across the street, right? Like, does this sound any different? Like you hear me talk and you hear the expectations and, and when those players get into trouble, things are different. And so I think that was the, the frustration, but you have to, you know, the, the lesson there is you kind of have to know where you are in that rank. And you can either try to stand up for what's right, or it maybe find a way where you can, you know, work in a strong program culture without, I don't know, I, I, you're giving up something, right? You're either giving up what you believe is right and the way things are going to have to be for you to be successful, or, or you just hold firm to them and you hope that your administration is going to support you. Like we had great support at Northwestern State. There's no way, there's no way we are successful there without Greg Burke as my athletic director. Like Greg was awesome. He, it's not like he threw a bunch of money at the program, but he gave the program a lot of support. And then when you got kids that got in trouble, he knew he, uh, like this part of the problem is I think right now athletes know the way to get out of things. And, you know, and some administrations will allow it and some don't, and you have to, you have to find the right one. So maybe the advice is pick a better AD, <laughs> but, but you're in the interview process. You don't know. You know, I think the other advice would have been like, get a better buyout, you know, get that worked into your contract. And, but you don't go into a, into this new relationship with, with a school saying, Hey, negative I, thoughts thinking and yeah. it was going to end short. Yeah. <laughs> right. The 80s would be like, why are you asking about your buyout? <laughs> like you're not expecting to be successful. Like I wouldn't hire somebody if they're asking like, what happens if you fire me? You know, that's, that's not, it's not the way to go into things. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, Coach Hernisman, I appreciate you sitting down. Obviously, you have a ton of experience and shared a lot of great things, I think, that people can take away from throughout this entire interview here. So I appreciate you taking time again, being a Wisconsin guy. Always good to connect with people like that and right. uh, send the warm weather up this way. Hey, have they burned down uh, Lambeau Field yet? Are they riding? Not yet. Not yet. Still waiting to see, uh, still waiting to see if number 10 is going to be the next one in line or what's going to go on oh, here. Oh, so. gosh. That's crazy. Crazy yeah. times. Well, no, I appreciate you taking the time. All right. Well, thanks a lot. Yeah.